Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, welcome to the call. It is what four, almost a quarter past twelve. Sorry, we're running a bit of a bit late, but uh, we had the, uh, the issue of waiting for politicians to talk. They're never on time. It's annoying, I know. But great to have your company between now and one pm for the call. Ten stocks, two experts, sixty minutes, and uh, we will point you in the right direction. Delighted to have as part of our expert panel today, Scott Phillips from Motley Fool. Scott, how are you, sir? Actually, I'm very, very well, thank you. Good. Mate, Thanks. I've got to tell you, this coronavirus, as well as being terrible for a lot of other reasons, it's taken one of my favourite nights of the year. I'm one of those very, very few nerds who actually enjoys budget night. Uh, I'm a little bit disappointed we're not going to see it, though, I've got to say. Yeah, I know. It is... Uh, budget night going into the lockup, of course, uh, is always great fun. The only thing I don't like is when I have to do sunrise on the lawn the next morning outside Parliament, I freeze my friggin' Watsy off uh, every year. I've got, a, I've got a down pat that I wear hiking socks uh, with my shoes <laughs> and stand on newspaper so the cold doesn't come up through you from uh, 5.30 in the morning. So I'm not missing it too much. Uh, also part of the panel today, Mark Morlam from Team Invest. Mark, good to see you again. Good to see you too, Koshi. And we've got some great stocks today. Of course, we stick off, uh, kick off with our stock of the day, a stock that's sort of in the news. And um, we thought we'd take a look at Mesoblast, a, a biotech company. Um, Announced yesterday or this morning, it was raising another $100 million at $3.20 a share, 7% discount. Uh, and it's to fund a sort of stem cell COVID procedure, coronavirus, um, sort, of, um, sort of testing um, and treatment. But just in October, it raised another $75 million as well at $2 a share. Um, Scott, let's kick off with you. Mesoblast. Biotech's always really hard to judge, and particularly when they start using the COVID term, have we got an answer for it? Uh, your antenna starts to stick up. Now they're going to market with 100 million. What do you think of Mesoblast? Mate, you've nailed the exact concerns that I think most investors, if they don't have, they should have. And that is a very simple one that, yeah, these biotechs, it reminds me of a lotto syndicate. I was thinking, trying to think of the right analogy this morning. It's like a lotto syndicate with your, with your fellow workers, right? You, you don't think you're going to win, but you don't want to be the only bloke left in the office when everyone else wins lotto and, and resigns on mats, right? And so it's kind of that story of, do we give another $100 million or don't we? Well, maybe this time, maybe this is the big lotto win. Maybe this is how we make our money. You see that chart there. It's, it's been a tough old ride for shareholders. Share price almost fell by two-thirds. In the wake of corona, again, not super surprising, although... I guess, you know, in the biotech space, and you've seen the recovery now from that and the capital raising, frankly, becoming not silly, right? The highest share price, other a little bit of a spike in 12 months. Of course, you're going to raise some money, try and find a good reason. I don't doubt the integrity or the intentions of people behind me so blast, 
But the reality is, this is pure low ticket stuff for all of these biotechs. There's always one CSL, or one cochlear, or one something, which you don't want to miss out. You don't want to be the guy who didn't invest just in case. But it's really hard to see, as you say, capital raising last year, a track record of lots of capital raisings. Maybe finally, eventually, they make some money, but so much dilution on the way through. I mean, this is this is pure speculative stuff. It doesn't meet uh, investment grade for, for my buying, as far as I'm concerned. And I think it's one of those things where you don't have 20 bucks on the lotto, you might have 20 bucks on mesoblast, but not much more than that. Okay. All right, Mark? Uh, well, from a team invest point of view, it doesn't sort of meet our uh, financial requirements and the yep. reason is it never makes any money yep. it made one year that i can see a profit and this has been listed for um, 16 years yep. so it's not like it's you know johnny come lately it's been around for a long time so they've built up a lot of assets i started reading up on it today because i don't know it in detail and it's it's a complex business biotechs are very difficult yep. uh, to invest in at the best of times yep. but i'm not seeing any uh, clear improvements on their earnings. You know, they're sort of de- they're negative. They're losing uh, money consistently, and they're, that doesn't that doesn't seem to be changing. Perhaps they will come up with a COVID uh, yeah. drag. I mean, they've got the, they're in the right area for it. You know, so yeah. it's logical. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not like some other companies. It's right. It fits into where, where they are with the anti-inflammatory uh, stem cell stuff they're doing. Um, it's actually currently priced at uh, 74 times sales. Right. Yeah. So obviously there's no right. earnings. So you know, and their market cap's about 1.8 billion. So they're going to have to start making money at some point. I think the uh, this this US uh, stage three stage three trial stage two stage three trial that's under the FDA fast track sounds yeah. good. Yep. You know, so they're taking advantage of being able to rapidly bring something potentially to market. So if it proves to be viable, uh, you know, then it could be fantastic. Right. And I, I suppose that's what uh, the... Um, so it's uh, a real punt, as, yeah, as yeah, yeah. Scott was saying. That's right. That's all yeah, it is. Yeah. It's speculation from Apple. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. That's me. So advice. let's get stuck into the 10 stocks. Uh, we may need to... Uh, we need to get through them a bit quicker today because of... Uh, of the issues in Canberra at the moment. So uh, let's kick off our first off. Something a bit more uh, conservative than Miso Blast got in terms of Treasury Wine Estates. Of course, owns Penfold, big global winemaking business. Um, what do you think of Treasury? Yeah, Kosh, you're much more civilised. Uh, certainly, uh, <laughs> I'm a little bit more familiar with uh, compared to Miso Blast. I actually quite like Treasury, mate. And this is the I'm not, I'm not particularly kind of macro investor, I'm not a big trend following investor. But if you think about the quality and the size, uh, the heft of the brand the Treasury owns, Penfolds, Lindemans, Wins, uh, plenty of others beside, including some French and US brands. And you think about the growth in consumption, both here at home, but more particularly in China. Now, Corona again throws these sort of things for a, for a bit of a wobbly, but before this all hit, wine exports from Australia to China were growing at 40% per year. About 20% of that was volume, and about 20% of that was price. Now, if you believe, as I do, that we'll have more Asians and more Chinese in particular, Australian wines over the next decade, decade and a half compared to today, it's hard to believe that the best, the biggest and best brands in the wine business in Australia aren't going to leave that charge. The Penfolds could sell all of the grains straight into China if they chose to. Uh, they ration it out for obvious reasons, but there is a lot of demand there for premium Australian wines. Penfolds, of course, has got some... Uh, fraud or, or kind of copycat issues to deal with in, in China. There are, as with all categories, uh, you know, fake versions popping up. But I think Treasury is one of those businesses just, you know, if you think 15 years into the future and think, is it likely that a lot more Asians, and again, Chinese in particular, are drinking a lot more Australian wines and Treasury in particular, I think it's a bit of a no-brainer. So, I mean, look, nothing's completely no-brainer, nothing's risk-free, 
But given the current share price is down a very long way from some of its recent highs, yeah. this is a really good buy from me. Oh, okay. Good buy on Treasury. Why? Because, uh, Mark, as Scott was saying, hasn't had that bounce back after the, the March crunch. Uh, oh, it's, you know, well, it's come back a couple of dollars. Right. Yeah, but 20, it's come back 20%. Yep. So yep. It, ha- it has had that. Uh, you know, from our point of view, the financials look pretty good. I mean, their, their earnings um, over the last six years have been growing at 26% a year, which is really good. They've got not, the debt's not bad, and they, they, they've only passed for one year on return on equity for us. So they're doing 12% now. So it's the first time they've passed. So technically, this would pass our, our uh, filters right. uh, now. Um, it's showing good returns at the current level. The concerns are uh, that there's talk of breaking it up. You know, they want to split, yeah. which seems Spin a bit bizarre to me folds. because I agree with what Scott said. Penfolds and Grange and so on are the crown jewels. That, and, and yeah. of course, when they bought those businesses, the reason they were bought in, of course, is because they were so good. Yep. Now what we're seeing is, oh, we're not making, we, you know, we, we're going to be better off by splitting them off. I don't, I find that uncomforting, right. uncomforting. Um, they're doing, they've got, they've got several class actions running. I think several, yep. at least three, uh, through uh, shareholder claims of not being um, informed Fully or informed. when they should have been, That's, which is not good. Yep. And their CEO, Mike Clark, is leaving before 30th of July, which is also, a, I don't know the background story on that, but you know, that's always a concern as well. Because when CEOs go, yep. uh, you know, you get someone new, and I think, I'm not sure who they're looking, I think they're looking for someone, Scott, uh, Scott might, might be able to correct me on that. Um, and, you know, that's a, also an area of concern as well. Right. But, you know, on the price, it's, uh, it's showing about 11% return for us on a margin of safety, right. you know, which is our super conservative value, which is pretty good. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, uh, it, on the it, face of it, yes. Uh, yeah, on financials, the, num- the numbers yes. look good. Uh, I don't know enough about the business itself, and there was right. we, we had some concerns about uh, channel stuffing in the past, which right. we had anecdotal information that came That's up right. from members, which went yeah. nah. You know, and, so it, and channel stuffing is where you sell to distributors, take then, the sale on the book, but they're basically yeah. So you say to them, look, buy twice as much or something, yeah. you know, and we'll give you yeah. a special deal. Yeah. Um, and it, it usually it's not. I think I believe they've had that. In the, they've done it in the past. I believe. Right. Yeah. Okay. Which is not good. All right. Yeah. So a yes from Scott. I no, 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 no. Um, smart group next one up, Mark. A specialist. This is another one of these sort of payroll, um, uh, salary packaging yeah. type companies that are yeah, they sort of they sort of compete with uh, Macmillan Shakespeare. Macmillan, that's yeah, it. Is the yeah. one that's been around for a long time. Yep. Um, yeah, they're obviously Macmillan actually got smashed when uh, Rudd was in power, when he had a, a thought bubble saying he might get rid of uh, salary sacrificing on right. cars, and Macmillan went down about 60%, I think, which was a really <laughs> a good wake-up call for any businesses that are relying on government uh, mm. uh, regulation, not even, it's not legislation even, it's just a government yep. position. Yep. Uh, smart Group, we have looked at uh, in detail. It's failed a couple of our uh, smarts where we've gone through it. Uh, financials uh, have been quite good. The growth's been very good, but they've been growing by acquisition, and our view is that... Um, there's a limit to the types of companies they can buy to add on. So we don't know if they can keep that going. So it's been less about organic growth and more more about uh, bolt-ons. High return on equity, uh, 22%. Uh, It's on 11p at the moment. So we're showing it returning 20% per year on a margin of safety Mm -hmm. at the current price, which is cheap. And it's been down as low as 392. It's about half what it was from its high uh, before. So look, it's... uh, Let's see what I was going to say. CEO, oh, this, their CEO's resigned as well, and the CFO's right. moved in right. into the position. And the CEO who's left had was a founder, and he sold his stake, which was 
25% of the uh, company. Now, he sold out completely. Also right. not a good look. Doesn't right. necessarily mean okay. that's a problem. Um, so uh, foundation investors gone. Uh, not very moaty, this business. So it doesn't have strong moats. Right. It's, it's fair, not a hard business to get in and out of for okay. a new place. All right, to protect themselves. Yeah. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's like, it, so it, it's, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Okay, but not for not you. Not exciting. Yep. Scott? I won't, I won't try and cut much of what Mark's done in the interest of time. He's done a really great summary of that. Thanks, Mark. Um, look, I think a couple of things for me. This is a business that can disappear at the stroke of a government pen. Now, it may well be that uh, Kevin Rudd's experience keeps many politicians away from the risk of that foreseeable future, but it literally exists almost entirely because of one very specific tax ruling or tax special legislation. But should it change, the business model goes away, hence the Macmillan Shakespeare issues in the past. That's going to be on investors' radars. I have to say, though, I haven't looked at this before today, so thank you to the viewer who asked about it because it gave me uh, to have a look. It seems actually pretty good value growth. It's been yeah. reasonably consistent, which has been positive. There is a decent return on equity, again, as Mark's covered. And it's a business that really, despite, yeah, the moat problem is definitely there. By the same token, I don't think, you know, it's existing customers will be relatively sticky, I expect, because you're probably going to change salary packaging providers too quickly with all the employee yeah. issues that come with that. So they kind of, I expect they'll hit most of the customers they have, generally speaking. And at the current price, I, look, I, I, I'm inclined to say it's a buy. I'm pretty close to that, I have to say, um, to get marked through some of those financial metrics. So uh just buy for me, put it that way. Okay. Yeah. All right. Tentative buy uh, for you there as well. And um, I always have in the back of my mind with these sort of companies, as you were saying, it can go at the stroke of government pen. And when we come out of this pandemic with the real budget in October, it's going to be really interesting to see what the government does in terms of using this as an excuse for major tax yeah. reform. In, interestingly, on. the bulk of theirs, uh, the big, biggest part of their business is uh, government. So ah, they're providing government okay. employees, nurses, ah. hospital workers, and so okay. on like that. So th then the question then is, would they... Uh, hit that area of the market. Right. I'd say yeah. probably not. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but who knows? All who right. knows? You're right. Okay. It's a risk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, fundamentally on the financials looks all right at yeah. the moment. Um, Scott, uh, our third stock that our viewers have put forward is uh, one of the big four banks, still uh, the darling of retail investors, uh, NAB. What do you reckon of NAB? Yeah, you and I spoke about four weeks ago, I think it was, and I, I raised the spectre of dividend cuts from NAB, and I did say to people, you, you called me on, just to make sure I was very, very clear, that there is always a risk of insolvency or meaningful dilution for these banks, and I want to restate that, not for the sake of being Dr. Doom, just to, to put that out there. I, I'm really I'm really troubled with the banks right now. You can see from that chart on the screen, there is, shares are falling a long, long way, and the shares are really, really cheap on any sort of basic earnings multiple. Assuming, and here's the big massive assumption, that earnings eventually get back to the same level they were before the crisis started and without meaningful dilution from the banks. Now, if that happens, these are going to be looking look back on as the streaming buyers of the century for solid, consistent businesses that are always going to be around the, the old safest housing stocks, right? That's the yep. that's the bull case. The bear case is that there is no obvious reason for house price to continue to escalate post this crisis. Um, our wages are growing, we're paying more for our, uh, more our income in mortgage repayments, you've got to wonder where the growth's going to come from. And so that's the fair case, that's of course as well with the potential for a government bailout or meaningful dilution. I'm going to say I'm not prepared to go in there just yet. Um, I think there are many, many better options. And that's, that's probably the key one for me is, even if you could justify on something of value basis that 
the banks in particular, in general, and NAV in particular, were maybe worth buying because they might give you decent returns. I doubt they're in the top quartile of returns over any extended period of time. And there's going be better options with fewer risks. Right. So I'd be giving NAV a wide berth, but also I'm prepared to have egg on my face if in three years' time we look back at a PE of nine uh, and, you know, in, in a depressed market was an attractive market. Well, a PE of 13 or 14, for example, that could be a 50% gain. So I can see where the gains might come from, just a bit too much risk for my blood, particularly given the alternatives out there. Yep. Mark? Um, I wouldn't go near them. Uh, of the banks, NAB is the worst of, worst performer in the long, over the long term. Secombank is significantly yeah. ahead, and yeah. Westpac and ANZ similar, then NAB below that. So if I, if I was going to buy a bank, which I'm not, yeah. it would be Combank. Uh, I agree with what everything Scott said. My, my, my view is quite bearish. They, their peak of earnings in 2018 was $2.30 a share, and they're down to $1.20 now. So the earnings are in quite a strong uh, downward uh, uh, curve at the moment. And the problem is we're, we haven't even had the impact yet of uh, coronavirus on them yep. from the yep. point of view of that's a massive headwind because they're giving holidays uh, on uh, payments. There's a whole range of things which are negative for the bank you know, in, yep. in so many different ways. Uh, the government's even deferred their uh, Royal Commission findings to, uh, which was going to increase, make life harder for them. They yep. deferred that till after the coronavirus. Yeah, so, so it's all bad news going forward. So I don't see how, and because the earnings are going down, the dividends I think will continue to go down, yep. and it's not impossible that they could be they could be wiped out altogether and have no dividend uh, mm. in a, in the next couple of years. It's quite yep. possible. Yeah. So there may be a time to buy back in, and I uh, like in two thousand eight. Combank got down to about $22, I think it was, or something. And obviously, that was the time to buy it. Banks are very cyclical, really. Yep. And we're coming off and you're out the top of the cycle. cycle. So the wait, till it, wait till we, we see where the bottom is. And then, then I think about the banks, which could okay. be some time off. All right. Okay. Our fourth stock is a travel management company, Corporate Travel. Mark, been in the news uh, over recent months. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, sort of stories being yeah, written about yeah, them and yeah, the management yeah. and the like. Yeah, we really like corporate travel. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's a very widely held uh, stock in um, Team Invest. Yep. Uh, it's got a founder CEO with um, uh, with Jamie Ferris, yep. who runs it. I know the Finn has been yes. running a. Uh, Joe Aston's been running a hate a campaign, campaign on campaign against we, them. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we think that's all but, uh, largely baseless. They've been, they've been a bit oh. tardy on a few things, which then right. he's magnified. And there's been a couple of short seller attacks on them. Yes. Uh, and that, what that's done is that's kept the PE ratio down quite low mm. relative to their earnings, you know, before coronavirus. Yep. So talking about before, before coronavirus. So this has been a real wealth winner for uh, me. I've done really well out of corporate travel. I sold it in early February. Uh, before, before, because to me it was pretty obvious that coronavirus, if it, if it was going to affect anything, it was going to affect travel. Right, sure. So, yeah. Um, yeah. and I bought, I bought some back at four ninety nine. Wow. Uh, I bought some back, you know, on the yeah. drop because I had an order in. Yeah. Not a lot. Yeah. And you know, we we're very, very optimistic. And the reason is, if you look at what they've done, having a founder CEO means you can move quite quickly compared to operating a, uh, a listed company where you're a hired gun and yeah. you've got to convince the board of anything. Yeah. So what have they done? As have Flight Centre as well. They've restructured the business. They've cut their overheads enormously. It's down from, make sure I didn't make a note of it, they're down, their cash burn now is between five to 10 million a month. Uh, and their overheads are dropping, dropped from 
uh, $26 million a month to $10 million a month. So wow. they've cut, obviously, staff and so on. Yeah. They don't have a retail footprint like uh, Flight Centre does because they're yeah. corporate. This is all corporate, yeah. And it's US, uh, UK, New Zealand and, and Asia. Oh. Uh, 60% of their income is from domestic travel in all those countries, by the way. Ah. So it's not just Australia. Right. So as we're coming back, domestic will come back first. Yep. And then they will be profitable on domestic alone with no international travel okay. based on their restructuring cost base. Right. Okay. So we think, you know, will travel come back? Of course. Yes. Will it yeah. come back to what it was before Corona? I don't know. Well, let's say it doesn't. Let's say it comes back to 80% uh, by volume. And I think corporates will be a significant pent-up demand for corporates wanting to fly and see their clients. Yeah. I know that's how I feel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to get back on a plane. <laughs> I used to hate them. Yeah. Um, so um, we think that um, even at the current price, if you look at it on a five-year horizon, and you, yeah. and you need to do that because... The next year is going to be a, a shocker. I don't think yeah. they're going to lose a lot. They've got about 200 million headroom on their facilities, very low debt, yep. virtually no debt. No, okay. um, so they didn't do a capital raising, Yep. So which is good. Flight Centre did a very big capital raising. Interestingly, Flight Centre was four times bigger than corporate travel going into Corona. Now they're about the same size oh. on market cap. Wow. Um, I, my view is that uh, if you take a five-year view to it, your returns on um, uh, corporate travel are going to be fantastic, even at the current share price. Could the share price go down again low? It's currently twelve dollars. Yep. Uh, the low was four thirty-six. Yep. Could it go back to that? Of course it could. Yep. yep. So I'm a buyer, but not at yep. the current price. Even but though well the current well. price still looks good. Okay. All right. Um, Scott. I should disclose I own shares in corporate travel. I also own shares in treasury. You mentioned that at the beginning. So my apologies for not mentioning that as we go through. Um, look, corporate travel for me is that a long-term holding of mine. It was a buy front of share advisor for ages. We only moved to the hold a few weeks or maybe a couple months ago. Now it's all, all blending into one um, in the wake of the coronavirus stuff. So to Mark's key points. And I think, look, corporate travel has done a wonderful job. We're flight center and we've had to raise capital. Yep. Corporate Travel's managed to get through with its banking covenants and cash flow, and as we heard, those very significant cost-cutting exercises. So to some degree, that's why it's still, to use the expression, flying high, excuse the pun, uh, while the other two are suffering a bit more. Now, it's still down, of course, meaningfully on where it was, and rightly so. Uh, for me, it's a hold for exactly that reason. I think Mark's point, look, any of these businesses right now, if they can get through the other side of coronavirus without either going broke or suffering meaningful dollution, they're going to be really cheap, right? Like if, you, if you buy corporate travel for twelve dollars based on three nineteen earnings, you're, you're absolutely doing really well. And if it gets back, I think it probably will. Then it'll do well. If the coronavirus lockdown here and/or internationally does take longer than we expect, um, or there are simply more financial penalties or issues than we expect, and have to raise capital, that will meaningfully dent the business return. So that's why it's a whole product. I, I like the business. I like like Jamie Ferris doing a great job running that company. Um, in by the way, you know some decent. Uh, Grief is getting from different quarters, but they've done incredibly well running that business. The question really now is financially for investors, how long does it take for the recovery to yeah. come? And is there more capital required? If there's not, today's price is cheap. Um, if there is, today's price not so cheap. So it's a hold for now. As we see more good news, I expect we'll be able to upgrade watching. again to buy. Yeah. Of course, there's more bad news. And those travel stocks had a good bounce yesterday on the market as restrictions start to ease. Because they're talking people. about it. Well, they're yeah. actually now talking about bringing back domestic travel yes. earlier. Yeah. So that's why. So the yeah. trouble is, of course, the longer you wait and the more information we get to make you feel confident the price will get higher and higher. Yeah, that's yeah. the catch. I think so, one other thing I'll say quickly too is that if there's a round two of coronavirus, you know, that's all bets are off then as far right. as that, then that adds another dimension to the world. I'm sure. assuming we do come out of this and yeah. get back to some level of normality. Yeah. And it could be one of those ones where you dribble money in a bit yeah. now, yeah. 
sort of 10, 20% of what you've got earmarked for it and just see how it goes. All right, our fifth stock um, is um, a real estate investment trust, um, but mainly in regional areas, regional shopping centres, uh, SCA property. Um, Scott, it's, uh, they've been out of favour. Do you see this one coming back in favour? This is a really fascinating one, Koshi. I think if you, if you think about retail and the general trend has been towards online, only exacerbated meaningfully by uh, coronavirus, of course. Now, we saw COVID come out, I think it was today or yesterday afternoon, saying their sales are up 100% uh, in the month because people are flocking online. That's going to hurt all retail stores. We heard about premier investments, of course, and their demands of their of their landlords. So shopping centers Australasia, not necessarily the big guys. If you think about who's going to do less badly out of this, it's probably the Westfield, so Centre Group, and the Shopping Centre Australasia, I think, group, because they're in very, very different parts. Westfield, the Centre Group, has the, the absolute premium A-plus locations. Shopping yep. Centre Australasia, as you pointed out, it's the Woolington company with a couple of specialty stores, a cafe, a dress shop, a, a bakery, yeah, fruit and veg. The, these are kind of the regional localised shopping centres, and I think that's a little more downturn-proof, and not proof, maybe maybe, mm-hmm. maybe uh, resistant, uh, than maybe some of the others. I wouldn't want to be middle space of trying to be a kind of large-ish regional ball that's going to really really hurt right. so i'm not i don't think this is a buy for me it's probably a hold i'm going to, going to make a call buy sell or hold it is though i think reasonably offensively placed it will absolutely suffer from loss of tenancies people will go broke unfortunately retailers won't reopen some retailers won't reopen after this yep. but take the tenants of woolies big w occasionally came out or something else they're, they're good tenants to have in the medium term they will reopen. They'll kill it. Story. It's still open. They keep, they keep doing business. Um, so they'll be okay. It's the specialty stores where, frankly, the rents are a lot higher per square foot that are going to struggle. But I do think of all the, if you're going to play in the REIT space, and I wouldn't, but I think Centre Group and SCA are the two you want to play. Uh, so for me, it's a whole, uh, but it, uh, one of the more okay. defensive, one of the more defensible ways to invest in property. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, I wouldn't touch yeah. it. The uh, main reason is the. Um, the headwinds, I think, are really quite significant. And just the feedback we've had from retail groups, um, the, they're all, everybody's pushing for significant uh, uh, rent reductions, even yeah. at Westfield, you know, who are the masters of muscling everybody. Yep. <laughs> you know, so it, it is happening in regional as well. I remember we right. had um, uh, AX1 in uh, last year, yeah, before yeah. coronavirus, yeah. and they were re- re- when their releases were coming due in country areas, they were typically getting up to 15% lesser rent on wow. re signs But also in some areas, they were trying to attract them into the centres. They were offering them uh, free fit out and whatever lease term they wanted at the, at the rate they negotiated. But after 18 months, if it didn't work for them, they could pull out and own nothing. Oh, How about okay. that? Now, so All what right. that's showing is that's a shift, shift in power, <laughs> shift in power from, yep. the, from, the re, from the landlord more yeah. towards the uh, client because of the, the reality of online sales, which, sure. which I agree with Scott, have, have really boomed. And it's going to be interesting to see how much effect that is going to make yeah. on retail. And whether Big headwind. And lastly, the cap rates will come down because remember the value of the trusts oh, of the buildings are all based on capitalised rent. Yeah. So if your rent comes off 10%, it's a very big hit on your uh, valuations. Yeah. And the valuations go to the p and 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 that's why the landlords want to keep them up all that's the right. time. That's and why it, they do free rent periods yeah. and so on. You know, and try and, try and keep, the, keep the headline rate up. Yep. But I can't see that holding. All right, okay. So I know on SCA property, uh, Mark, what about Metcash? Um, IGA supermarkets, Mitre 10, Hardware and Timber, uh, still near their 12-month low. 
aren't they, in terms of they are. uh, we, 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 it's, it's a, we, To us, Metcash is a mediocre company. Right. It's probably okay. the way to describe it. It's, 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 uh, if you look at its earnings, it's got high stability, which most supermarkets have, yep. by the way, groups. But if you look at their earnings, they've dropped from their, their best year they had you know, on the last decade was 2012, when their earnings were about 38 cents. They're now down to 22 cents. Right. Um, so it's been a sort of a, it's flat for the last five years. So it dropped flat. They had their problems. Yeah. And now it's flat. It's just not exciting at all. So from a return point of view, you've got to pay the right price for it. And it's currently on a PE of 10, which, okay, that's at the low end of uh, its um, range. It's in the bottom quartile at $2.29 share price. We're showing it with a negative return though. So based on EPS growth of negative 2%, which is what they've been doing. Wow. That's okay. the average for the last six years. Yep. Uh, we're showing it returning uh, minus just under 1% per year if they continue doing what they're doing at the current share price. Right. Okay. So for me to buy it, it would have to be uh, down about 96 cents. Okay. All right. Which is a long way away from 229. It sure is. Scott? Yeah, I can't, I can't say anything nicer about Metcash, unfortunately. I'll, I'll give a little bit away. Of the 10 companies or 11 companies, including Metoblast, we're talking about today, uh, unfortunately, Metcash is my least favourite. Um, it, it is a really structurally challenged business in two really important ways. The first is, frankly, it is the least uh, able to compete compared to Woolies, Coles, Costco, Aldi. Um, Kathleen couldn't make it in the Australian market and went home. But this is a really, really tough grocery business. It's got a very good liquor business, by the way. But the grocery business is terrible, structurally challenged from that perspective. The other reason the structural challenge is all those other retailers I mentioned get people all the profits for themselves. Metcash has to do the, the split, right? It takes some of the margin and it gives the rest of the margin to the, the IGA stores themselves and independently owned. So every dollar it makes or every dollar profit has to be split. That makes it much less profitable to start with. Add to that, it makes its margin moving boxes, so the more boxes it moves, the more money it makes. Makes sense. I don't see IGA at any point gaining share against those other guys. So not only is it a tough business, it's a, I expect a declining business. And with a big, big boat having a really, really tiny margin, I don't know what the numbers are now, but it's usually about 4%. Um, if that's your margin and you're losing volume, that's a really, really, really tough business to maintain. We know in low-margin businesses, if you can make a bit extra money, the bottom line can grow meaningfully. If you can make a little bit less money, the bottom line can really shrink rapidly. So look, you know, I, don't, I don't wish the business ill, but I don't, of all the major businesses we talk about regularly, I don't see one that's more structurally challenged over the long term than NetPack. So right. I don't know what price I'd want to buy that. If you bought it a cheap to assume that something was going to stabilise or turn around, I just don't see it, unfortunately. So that'd be a sell for me. All right. So two sells. Two yeah, no's. Okay. Two, two no's. Um, Scott, while we've got you, um, InfoMedia, uh, a tech platform uh, focusing on the, um, uh, on the automotive industry, again, has gone through another raise recently as well, one of the many stocks to do that. Might be a hit list of ones that haven't had a couple of raising recently, cost you, but so, so many companies put their hand out right now. Infomedia is a, is a, I mean, it's a gunner company. Um, it's gone through cycles of being really successful, then really struggling, really successful and really struggling. And it tends to be, I think, in some part, because the industry it works in is really small. It's a niche player in a niche industry. That's a really, really tough business to try and get ongoing growth from. And so if you're an investor, you're investing, hopefully, for some income maybe and some growth, the total return that beats the market. If uh, is really struggling, you know, Richard Graham, the, the founder and occasional CEO, is going back and forth, back and forth, um, has been in and out of the business a few times trying to get it right. He stepped away now. 
it just you know selling catalogs, online catalogs to, to car manufacturers and, and to service dealerships is yeah. a very very tough business. If it can grow, it's going to be because it widens or broadens its product offering. It currently has a parts catalog and a service catalog, um, which is I mean it's an amazing piece of kit. If you can literally look up almost any you know whatever model of car, any part for any particular use, whether you're looking for a you know a particular piece for the uh, for the engine block, or you want a particular nut, or a particular mudguard, these things are all there. It's a really really cool piece of gear. But the market is really small. I don't see where the long-term growth comes from. Sure. If you can't grow your earnings, unless your shares are really good, well it makes it very hard to make a, a great investment from it. So, uh, look, you know, it's not okay that that long-term the five-year chart looks pretty impressive. And it is. Growth from here though is much harder, I think, to come by. And if that's true, investors won't do mm-hmm. as well as they have in the past. It certainly may struggle to beat them. I can put this on Rochelle. Okay, Mark. Um... Yeah, I agree with all that. Yeah. I think it's misquoted as being a tech stock, though. You're right. sure they do provide uh, the catalogues, but the they used to be like yellow pages. Yep. They used to have, like, they get a deal with Jaguar, and they do every single part, and then print them all up, and then they supply those to all the workshops and so on. That's what they used right. to do. Right. And then obviously they've turned that into a tech. Of course, they want to be called a tech company, because yep. what happens if you're a tech company? Yep. You get a high PE, and their PE is on 29. Wow. Now, their earnings are 2.3% average for the last six years per year. Right. So they've got piss poor flat earnings yep. and they're on a 29p even now which has come down from 45 it was on wow. a 45 so it's absurd yeah so they are being treated as a tech company problem is the company itself's okay i agree with i agree with scott it's just not worth anything like that and yeah. on that sort of p if you bought it today at a dollar 58 we're showing at 1.3 percent return right uh, per year over five years so why would you bother yep not worth looking at uh mark what about rea group Online real estate advertising just announced third quarter results. Were pretty good considering, yeah. I think, what, well, it's uh, what the property market's been through. It, yeah, it's, uh, it's a business you can spend 10 minutes on easily, yeah. which we don't have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, um, it's got fabulous moats, meaning you know, competitive advantages where it's very, they, they are the main player. Yeah. Uh, they, they have your network moat. The, the bigger they got, the more everyone has to be on their platform. And then all the yeah. buyers all go there because that's where all the ads are. So very, domain has really struggled to try and hurt them at all. Yeah. Um, and it's been a very solid business. Earnings aren't growing as fast as they used to, but they're still running at 13% a year, which is still you know, quite, quite, uh, quite acceptable. I'm earnings growth, not too much share price. Um, it's currently on a 46 PE. Uh, it's not cheap. Uh, $93, uh, $93, wow. Um, we're showing it returning about 10% a year at the current price. Okay. For me, to get it on, I want my 20% return, considering sure. the environment in, $42.85. Okay, so it's a long so, way from it could 90 go there. It's been down as low as 62 in the right. corona one. Yeah. If we have a big market swoon, it could definitely do it, and I'd okay. be happy to buy it. I don't own it. A lot of team invest members do. The only negative we've always had on it is the uh, Murdoch factor, that uh, News Corp are the major shareholder and we're all minorities. And yeah. the, the risk was we were, everyone was worried that one day Rupert might do something that's in his interest and not the shareholders. Right. Hasn't okay. happened. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, Scott, REA? Yeah, I really like REA as a, as a business. It, it is, you know, the old rivers of gold story for the newspapers. REA is probably, we can't tell the see, one of the key success stories as a result of the, the, the internet. I mean, really, the internet companies, Mark said before, everyone wants to be tech. These guys are genuinely internet 101 companies, right? These are the ones who came out of the birth of the internet and took those money, they classified money away from the newspapers. It is a really high quality business. The risk with REA has always been that I, we said listing for that happening now. The bigger risk, though, frankly, post-corona is that the listings rebound, but people aren't prepared to pay as much for the listing. All the money they make, all their margin, comes from not the number of listings or even 
you know, who's doing what where, but the amount of money people are prepared to pay to boost that listing, to make that listing, you know, at the top of the page or have special mm. photos or a border or a premium or section. That you want to travel and you do that money than otherwise. When you do that, that can be great in a rising market. Desperately trying to get the best price. If the housing market is falling or stagnant, it's less obvious to me that people will be prepared to pay up for that, that extra advantage. Now, it's still a buy for me, so I, I say that as a way of highlighting the risk. Oh, it's just... The reality is this is still the worst game in town, domain of corporate. Everyone who lists on domain is also listing on REA. And that's the great thing. It's not necessarily going to take all. REA will have almost all the listings in Australia ever. They can probably yep. continue to charge larger and larger amounts because, again, won't be on REA. And if your mate's paying more, then I guess you've got to pay more as well to keep up. That's a pretty good dynamic. Eventually, maybe real estate agents will balk at that. Maybe sellers will balk at it. But right now, it is the preeminent player. So, yeah, at, I'm going to run into the cheap price. At, price at, at, at 92 At $92? Yeah, I think so. You know, I think it's... It's one of those businesses that yep. I think when we look back, $92 will be a, will be a good price. It will be a great price. I think 92 will be a good price to buy a business that when things get back to normal, they'll keep exercising that pricing power, they'll keep delivering mm. growth. I think Ari has a long term winner, yeah. Uh, yeah, all I'd add to that is I agree with all that. The the ninety two dollars is a good buy now if we didn't have the coronavirus issues. Right, sure. So we need okay. a further we need a further discount in my view to to bring in the risk elements of time and the effect okay. on the business. Um, Scott, we might reconnect you while we go on to the next one, uh, just so see if we can get a better line from your uh, from your Skype there. Uh, while we're waiting to do that, let's move on to our ninth stock, uh, Propel Funerals. Um, in the funeral cemetery business, competitor to the number one stock in the market, Invocare, yep. which apparently, well, not apparently, a couple of days ago, we had it um, last week on the call. And um, who was it? Claude Walker from Rich Life, I think, uh, preferred Propel to Invocare, oh, okay. uh, which is interesting. Right. So okay. what do you think? Well, he may know the people. Right. And so yeah. on. It's only got a two-year history. So, right. so, okay. uh, so nowhere so. near enough data. But I, I read up on it. Basically, they're a, they're a roll-up model, yep. which means their business model, which is what Invocare was as well, they basically buy up uh, private uh, funeral homes, cemeteries, and so yep. on at a PE of, say, five, and then they get the instant uplift. Their current PE is on 24. Wow. So they get okay. a, if they buy it for five, they get a uh, yep. uh, five times uh, uplift. Yep. Uh, on earnings and how it looks. Yep. And it's a good model for a while. Uh, we're very wary of roll-up models generally, not just, right. doesn't matter what you're rolling up. Yeah. Uh, it, what tends to happen is they get to a point where they have to start paying more and more and there's more and more competition. Right. So obviously they're to now like compared the child to care care care. Exactly, <laughs> exactly the same as the yep. child care centres. Yeah. That's right. what happened to ABC okay. and yes. G8 said, oh, no, no, we're not like ABC. Yeah. And now they're paying. And they are. Yeah, yeah. because you have to. <laughs> It's yes. market pressure. Yeah. So look, it may do well down the road. Uh, it's on a <clears throat> 24 PE, which is pretty rich. Right. Anyway. But not for you. Okay. Not yet. We'd need four or five years history to sure. before you could look at it. Scott, Propel Funeral. Yeah, look, well, you see the case of death and taxes without things you could count on, right? But of course, with the, with the reduction of people who can go to a funeral, uh, even taxes are all that's left and, and that may still go by the way. So look, Propel is a, a decent business, as Mark's already said, it's the second player to the game. And that's tough, I think, particularly when the market is getting pretty concentrated. Rollups are wonderful when you've got a very large fragmented market. You can go from 1% to 15%. Uh, whatever else is stuck at 1%. When you're the lead dog doing that, it's okay for a fortune for investors doing just 
Okay. Yep. So that, All right. At some point, do you get a higher price per funeral? How do you kind of evaluate to a funeral? I guess you kind of can, and I know district of the funeral directors out there, but it's a very, very tough business to imagine we get long-term growth once this industry is sufficiently consolidated. And I think it's getting very, very close to that. So I'm not a huge fan. It can be a decent money center income wise, so maybe there's some value there at the right price. And given the recent fall, that may well be the case. If you're looking for a, a decent small income stock, I guess this might be one you put on your list. Um, from a total return perspective over any long-term period of time, I just don't know where the growth comes from. Sure. A no for, uh, for propelled funerals. Uh, our final stop, Mark Starr, Entertainment, yep. own the casinos, Sydney, Gold Coast, Brisbane, don't they? That's right. Basically. They're a lot bigger than that in that they have very big leisure businesses. Yeah. So uh, they're into hotels, they do a lot of venues, uh, restaurants, they've got stacks of restaurants and so on. Some of, a lot, most of them are associated with the venues. Right. They're in lockdown. So effectively, yeah, yeah. I think it was March 28th or something when they, they virtually shut, their businesses are completely shut. Yeah. And they're currently running, um, uh, they said if, it, if, it, if it's down, if they're down for three months, they'll lose 220 million, as in loss. Yeah. And if it's six, it's six months, it's going to be 320 million. So there's a fairly big impact on the business. Sure. The PE is still on 20, you know, so um, it's, it hasn't been smashed. It's not a business that uh, we particularly like. It's got a return on equity of 5.8, which is pathetic. Yeah. Um, you're considering casinos are meant to make money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, earnings growth has been 4.7 per year over the last six years, which 4.7%. And you've sort of got the ethical filter over it. Well, there's that too. I don't yeah, like yeah. that either. But, yeah. but if I wanted to get my 20% return, um, no, I, I could only pay $1.21. And it's currently wow. 270 Could it get wow. to $1.21? Unlikely. However, it's been as low as $1.53 already okay. at the bottom when that spike down we had. Yep, yeah. So it could. Yeah. Okay. It could. All right. Sorry we had to rush through it after the delayed start because of uh, what's going on in Canberra. Um, Mark, really appreciate your time. Thank you for that. Great to see you. Um, see you next week. Uh, so just a, a recap on, um, on the, our 10 stocks for today. Uh, Treasury, a no. Uh, Smart Group, a yes from uh, Scott, but a, a no from, um, uh, from Mark. Although Scott did like Treasury, uh, Treasury Wine. Uh, no for NAB. Corporate Travel. Um, a tick from Mark, who knows the company really well and Team Investor really well uh, as well. Uh, a no for SEA Property, no for Metcash and InfoMedia. Scott likes REA even at this level. Uh, Mark loves the business as well, but a lot cheaper price. Um, uh, it's too expensive. And a no for Propel Funerals and Star Entertainment. Um, if you would like any of your stocks to be analysed uh, during the call over uh, coming episodes, you can email the uh, your selections in or suggestions to the call at ausbiz.com.au or you can send them in through our Twitter. Our Twitter handle is ausbiz.tv. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.